some of the guys, and some of them, I don't want to mention any names, but some of them not too happy with the polyester uniforms. How so? They get very hot in the polyester. You know, it's not a natural fiber. They, they would prefer cotton. Cotton, cotton breathes. You see, it, it's much softer. I mean, imagine playing games and your team is five degrees cooler than the other team. Don't you think that would be an advantage? They're cooler, they're more comfortable, they're happier. They're going to play better. You may have something there, George. Oh, I've got something. Hmm, cotton Mike, how much do we miss George Costanza? How much? hundred percent. Do we miss him? 100%. That was, uh, yeah, that was George when he was working for the Yankees talking to Buck Showalter when he was working for the Yankees about uniforms and a reference to Danny Tartable. Um, I, I, uh, and, and we, we picked that clip today because baseball and Nike are, uh, are getting a lot of heat for their uniforms. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the adjusted NFL salary cap. Jason's here to talk about the new Apple series with the Patriots and the Mike Smith sports moment of the week. Mike Smith, George Costanza may have a point or he may be working at Nike because instead of talking about Otani and spring training and all that stuff, everybody's talking about the see-through unis. You know, what's old is new again, because now Nike, instead of listening to George, they've now gone to a jersey that's like 90% recycled polyester, uh, their performance jersey that's supposed to be lighter for the players and obviously better for them uh, in terms of temperature regulation and, and comfort and everything else. But uh, the 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 press, both from the players and from fans and otherwise, has been pretty brutal to start the season. I mean, what what a nightmare for baseball what a nightmare for nike a nightmare for fanatics that is baseball's partner with nike that's actually producing the jersey um just a nightmare all the way around and you know there's multiple problems that players are uh griping about one is the fact that they appear to be see-through like you mentioned that that it's coming out of some of the the press pictures and some field shots depending upon the the light and the time of the day there's a lot of complaints around the pant fit because Nike went from having custom tailored jersey, uh, custom tailored pants uh, for every single player to now having like four different types of pants based on your pant size that players are getting asked to select from. And so they're just not fitting the same way. And then you combine that with the fact that the jerseys are lighter. You can't have as, um, as, much weight in the emblem and the decal and the name. So everything is appearing smaller and cheaper and it is leading to a lot of just negative perception by the players and the fans and Nike and fanatics and major league baseball trying to scramble for some solution. Uh, and you know, I don't know what it is, but I know it's a PR nightmare and really the last thing that baseball wanted to start this season. You know, Mike, I want to get back to what you said, but I've, I've always been curious about this. When you're a baseball player at the beginning of your career, don't you have to kind of choose between stirrups and not stirrups? No, I, I, is that a joke? I have no idea. No. Are you serious? I, I, Are you serious? Always, have you ever noticed that? That certain players, their entire career, stirrups. Others, not. Alex Rodriguez, stirrups. Derek Jeter, no stirrups. 
And it huh. seems like you have to make that choice. So would you be a stirrups guy or or would you be a long pants guy? No, I'm a long pants guy. I'm a long so pants anyway, guy. Um, yeah. And I'm, so not, whenever- and I'm also that way for golf. You know, the, we've had a lot of conversation about shorts in live. Like, remember the year that there was like shorts in baseball where the White Sox, the White Sox were playing yeah. with shorts? I mean, yeah. anyway, I'm a long pants guy. Anyway. Uh, Richie Zisk in shorts. So, so Mike, I, I, you know, Nike, Fanatics baseball. These are not three startup companies. This reminds me of when the NBA brought out the basketball. Remember that yeah, year? And yeah, yeah. everybody hated How does this happen? How does this happen? You know, there's, I, there's like, I don't know. We don't know the story yet. There's a lot of testing. They, they tested it with all the players at the all-star game last year. They tested it with dozens and dozens and dozens of players, uh, during the playoffs while they're in bullpen sessions or down in the Arizona training league. And, you know, who knows exactly uh, where the the misstep was. I have to think that part of this is just the players are perceiving something negatively because other people are perceiving it negatively. And then if you gave them like sort of a blind taste test, they probably wouldn't feel as bad as they do. And some of this from a fan standpoint, you know, Fanatics is getting ripped probably more so than Nike on this one because fans are generally used to buying, you know, the less expensive, less premium quality merchandise on Fanatics sites um, because that's what they've been licensed by the different sports leagues to distribute. Fanatics can produce and is producing as high quality stuff as Nike or baseball wants them to produce. So it's not really not Fanatics fault from a production perspective. This does appear to be a design issue and it clearly appears to be some type of communication issue between baseball and the players association because Tony Clark and the MLBPA are jumping all over this one. And uh, the, the fact of the matter is at this point of the season, there already are supply chain issues with these new jerseys and pants as it is. There's no solution to come. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they put damage control on this throughout the year. So I have a, I have a question though, that I don't understand that you probably will. So if Fanatics is producing the uniforms... What is Nike actually doing? Just getting the branding for their uniform? Well, they're doing the entire spec of the uniform. So exactly. Oh, so like the the design, like the, the design, design and okay. the material, and like where the stitching is, and you know everything about it is Nike, and then they just hand it off to Fanatics. If it rains, does that mean there re- is supposedly you're going to see through the entire? I mean, that's the a million dollar question. I would I would certainly hope not for all of our sakes. No, but it could be uh, could be make baseball more popular. Could you make know, the, the, what part of Nike's line is that there really isn't that much different uh, in this jersey than even existed in prior jerseys and pants. Again, it's not passing the eye test and certainly not passing the player's perception test. Um, yeah, I think right now there's somewhere in Beaverton, Oregon, and people are throwing all kinds of water and doing all kinds of rain tests on these things to make sure that you're not proven to be true. And you are – have you been to Beaverton? I have been there. Uh, I have not. Awesome. I have not. It's so cool there. So, so um, you're going to spring training next week, right? Not to play, obviously, but to uh, – Well, you never know what the Mike Smith Boatman of the week is going to well, be. Well, that's true. Maybe, Jason, maybe by I'll... the way, would be a stirrups guy, I think. But he can he can come in later. But Jason would, yeah. would go stirrups. But well, can you can you file a I'm report hitting, when you're I'm down there? I'm training Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You're going to do the Pirates in Bradenton, the Phillies in Clearwater, and the Yankees in Tampa. And right now it's not supposed to rain. I really hope that's the, the case. But uh, look forward to seeing spring training baseball. There really is nothing like it. Nothing. Well, like it. I'm going to ask you to file a report on the uniforms, but um, whatever you do, please don't you wear the see-through pants. So um, 
from the ridiculous to the sublime. The the NFL money, 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 money. The salary cap exploded. Uh, it's bigger than we thought. And so, what does that mean? What does that mean to players? What does that mean to fans? What does that mean to business? What? Why? Why should we care about this? Well, we should care because uh, as as fans, obviously, your your team's going to maybe be able to afford to keep more of their own players than they probably thought they were previously. Last year, in the 2023 season, the salary cap was $225 million per club. This year, the general consensus estimate it was going to increase from 225 to about 245 or 250 and it turns out that it's over 255 million per club um like a 13% increase 30 million dollars per club uh in one year is unheard of it's the biggest increase uh the NFL has seen it's probably about twice the increase on a percentage basis than they've ever experienced before and the what it speaks to the the specific reason why it went up is there was a line around uh, sort of COVID uh, catch-ups around the way the player deferrals were handled and different benefits, and none of us understand that, nor do we need to. Plus, this is also the first year of a big pop in the media from the new media contracts, of course. But what it speaks to is, again, another example, example 812 of the business model of the NFL being superior than it is to the other uh, major leagues because you've got most of the revenues coming in from a national revenue model that's distributed evenly across all 32 clubs. And when you have this type of salary cap expansion, again, every club gets to uh, ride the wave of that. So a rising tide is lifting all boats. You don't have a situation in the NFL where the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Tennessee Titans or uh, any other club is left behind at the expense of the Cowboys or the Patriots or anyone else like we see in in other sports. Uh, and at, if you actually take that $255 million, billion, a million dollar cap number per club, there's also on top of that um, about uh, uh, some large number of benefits. I think it's to the tune of $75 million or so that's getting paid per club uh, for health benefits and retired player benefits and continuing education and a whole host of things to benefit the players. Um the total player cost now across the league for the 2024 season is going to be over $10 billion. And if you think about the NFL uh, probably keeps a little bit more than 50% of its revenue and pays out a little bit less than 50% of it to its players, that speaks to the league now is officially over a $20 billion revenue machine, uh, well on its way towards that $25 billion target that I set personally uh about 10 years ago that seemed really unheard of to achieve back in 2010 or whenever. You, not whenever, Roger. That's it. That's it. That number. Uh, well, I mean, it was it. Roger certainly uh, w- was the, the, the person that uh, was giving the instructions, but it was me and Frank Farrar. If you remember old Frank back in I the do. day, sitting on an Excel spreadsheet, trying to figure out how do we come up with a number so big and believe it or not, I think we contemplated that by in order to get to 25 billion, we would have had 36 franchises. We would have had a whole bunch of crazy things going on, even to try to rationalize a number that big. So with the base organic business and media growth and fan growth and sponsorship growth and selling tickets smarter, everything that they've done to now get to this number um, uh, over 20 billion today on its way to 25 billion um, really is just a testament to the fundamental business model 
that is in place. Um, well, and you couldn't have predicted the, the streaming wars and more, you know, obviously the techno technology advancements in terms of the diffuse viewing uh, over the top or whatever, that plays a big part in it too, because there, there's more money. To yeah. be and it's the strength of the game and it's the strength of the, the season structure, the media model and the ownership structure and everything else that you were, that you were referencing. But um, I do think that the, the players association and NFL do like to smooth these amounts amount, smooth these amounts out so that you don't have these large swings from year to year in a salary cap standpoint, because they don't want any one particular free agent class or player class actually benefiting more so than others. So they try to even it out. It's actually a different philosophy than basketball. Basketball is fine with the lumpiness because they just want the players to get their money sooner. But if, if you're having this kind of pop in the amount from last year to this year, and you knew know philosophically that they like to smooth these things out, then you just know that there's going to be now a much bigger, more consistent increase off a much bigger number to come. Um, and so uh, it just this year probably was challenging for general managers and others to plan their rosters and when to extend players and when to cut players, those kind of things, because they wouldn't have anticipated this kind of number. But now knowing that next year's number is going to be off a much larger base, just gives them more room to plan. Um, and it's you know good for the players and good for the fans. But yet they're still, the Dolphins lost, made a decision on two stalwart defensive players this week, but that's just business as usual, even though the salary cap is higher. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I don't remember exactly what day they made those decisions versus when they would have gotten real visibility. The number is going to 255. They may have made that decision anyway, but I do think that there's clubs like, you know, Justin Jefferson and the Vikings have been in this dance on a contract extension forever. He's a, you know, a generational wide receiver. And if the Vikings really knew that they were going to have room at a $255 million salary cap, would they have been more aggressive with their offer at extending Justin Jefferson last year? I don't know. Would Justin Jefferson have actually taken it if he knew the salary cap was going to be greater? I don't know. It's just that uh, when you're this off versus what expectations are, even if it's good news, it just creates uncertainty and makes it difficult to plan. But again, uh, it's a nice problem for the NFL to have. I don't know if this question is even relevant, but I like to ask you these things because of your financial background and your mind. Does this, do you think in any way have any effect on the NBA or on college football? You know, I don't know how it impacts uh, the NBA uh, per se, because it is uh, a different player cost model where there, there are all virtually guaranteed um, contracts. On the, the college side, I think maybe there's sort of an interesting thing to think about, and it's probably a conversation for another pod, is the impact of the size of NIL payments for some of the star athletes and whether that causes them to stay in college or jump to the NFL uh, as quick as they can, depending upon you know their protected draft uh, selection Etc. Now, right now, the, even if a salary cap is going up, the the rookie wages are uh, and the rookie contracts are are fixed. So a lot of these increases actually benefit uh, veterans as opposed to rookies. So I'm not sure I'm seeing that connection, but I'll think about it. All right. Um, anything else on the cap? Uh, no, I think that's it. Let's talk uh, Peter King. Yeah. So Peter King, I, I found out from you is retiring. Um, and that's really, I mean, the guy's a legend. Um, I mean, one of the most respected journalists, uh, in football history, right? I mean, his yeah. Monday morning quarterback is, is a must read. 
Yeah. I mean, I was telling Jason before the show is that it was a Monday morning ritual for me before I even got out of bed to read his article on, uh, on NBC sports and to, it might be one of the few, if only long form pieces I consistently read and to now know that I, I lose that, um, is personally disappointing, but, um, you know, he's someone that was so plugged in. The fans are really going to benefit, uh, are really going to miss the benefit of his access. I mean, it's, it's a real, real loss, but, uh, you have had the pleasure of, uh, of working with them. So, uh, story time. All right. Well, I, I just have two quick ones. First of all, I got to say this about Peter. You, you will not meet a nicer guy, a harder worker, a classier dude. The first time I met him, you know, I, I was kind of new to some of this stuff and we met at a restaurant on Columbus Avenue near ABC. Cause I was working for ABC sports at the time. And I was producing the Monday night football halftime show that Chris Berman was hosting and Peter King was going to join us. So we met for lunch and there's two things I remember from that lunch besides thinking he was a great guy. One was he kept – he was on his phone the whole time and he kept putting up his finger to tell me Norv Turner was on the other line. <laughs> and two, Norf. I kid you not, Peter said when when um, towards the end of the meal, are you going to eat your fries? And I said, no, they're all, they're all you. The second uh, – <laughs> Wait, so Peter ate your fries? That's a good Peter, one. Peter ate the fries I didn't eat. The second Peter King story I have for you – and I again, I love Peter King. So he, he and I were working on a feature. This was back um, – gosh, I want to say mid-90s. And there was a long run where the NFC had just won Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. And Peter came up with an idea to do a feature in the Super Bowl pregame show that I was going to produce to talk about, you know, ask a bunch of people why the NFC had this dominance over the AFC. And that's not important to the story, but we did the feature and I bring it back for Peter to do what's called a voiceover um, for the the feature. So he goes into an audio booth and he and he just reads a script that he wrote and narrates the piece. So he got into the audio booth, he put the headphones on and I cued him and he started to read the lead to Brent Musburger. So it was like, he was, he, instead of, he was just going, Brent, you know, and I'm like, Peter, that's actually when you, when you go on the air, you actually, that's, that's what you say to Brent live, just, you know, kind of read the script. First time he did it. I mean, now he's an old pro, never did it before. And then, um, so he said, okay, I got it. And he read the whole script and I thought we were done. And then he goes, and Brent, there's another thing you have to remember. I'm like, no, no, Peter, that's the tag. You lost it. But you got life too. The- Meanwhile, he nailed it. And it was a great piece thanks to him. And he's he's the man. He's a legend. So um, I hope he really enjoys uh, his retirement. He's, he's, he's one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, he I, – I do know from our PR people uh, at, at the league at the time, uh, someone definitely respected. And I think it's a credit to a journalist like that like how you toe a line between people thinking they're so nice, people giving access and sharing uh, confidential or uh, certainly less public information and for Peter to still maintain having a real opinion and, you know, not compromising on having, um, you know, criticism of coaches or players or, or league officials. So it takes a special person for that and he'll be missed. And he, uh, he got in the schedule room, which not a lot of people get access to. Yeah. Um, Speaking of legends, uh, the stirrup wearing Jason Wormser's here with his worm bite. And I know he's got a little Peter King story and he's also going to talk about the New England Patriots Apple show. So my Peter King story, 2004 NFL combine, Indianapolis, 
first time an ENG crew ever was allowed inside to see what was in, in the inner sanctum of this weirdness that is known as the NFL Combine, and had an ENG camera with me, and we sh- you know shot around, and it was really weird because it was like like it was like everywhere we went was like no you can't come here no you can't shoot here so I ended up going and did a little piece and and I guess the guys back in LA wanted to get reaction from some of the writers. So I went around and got, got some of the journalists, went up to Peter King and I go, how long have you been, how long, how many years have you come to this? He goes, it's gotta be almost two decades. And I go, have you ever been inside those, that wall there? No, no, I've never come been, it, we've had no access. He was hot. He goes, he was so, he got, he got kind of angry at me. And I, and he goes at the end, he goes, can you get us inside? I said, well, I'll work on it. And then, of course, we've seen what it is right now, which is this monster, this monster off-field event. But Peter King, legend, love, uh, obviously, just changed the genre. So my other note is on the Pat's Dynasty. It's on the Apple Plus. That's a service that you have to pay like six bucks a month for that has nothing else on except Lionel Messi. Not true. This is produced by Imagine Entertainment. Those, th- those people would be Ron Howard and Brian Glazer. They've done great work over the years in the entertainment and documentary world. So it's not a Tom Brady documentary produced by Tom Brady or signed off by Tom Brady. They've had four episodes so far. So it's been really good. It's been really, really thorough how they've done the storytelling. They've connected dots, gone backwards and forwards. It didn't like start on the Super Bowl, the first win in 2002. And the whole backstory, they literally went two episodes of the entire backstory with the Crafts buying the team, with Brady's Ascension, home movies, personal stuff, footage from all over the place, really well produced in that part. There is, of course, NFL Films footage in there. It is, it's really, really well done. They have, they've laid down four episodes and I watched, I watched all four, I watched Number four last night, which is my favorite, is known as Spygate, and it's the entire 2007 season, which is a one of the most fascinating and brilliant seasons in history of the league, and yet most controversial. And the way that producers have put this together, they didn't start off; they would do like a little uh, opening clip, and then do the do some credits and all that, and get into it. They started this off with a New York City cop, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And it's that shows the the depth and the breadth of how they how they did their storytelling. And this cop was an important piece in this story, but I never knew. A lot of that, a lot of you never knew stuff has come out. Amazing on cameras, a lot of guys from the team. The crafts were on there, Brady, it was a little bit of Bisman, a little bit of Belichick, Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, Teddy Bruschi. Uh, Randy Moss was fantastic in the last episode. Roger Goodell made an appearance. It's really, really well worth your time, uh, especially the end of episode four is a personal favorite, and you are welcome, America. And one other thing about it, Drew Bledsoe is the star of this series. He is raw, he is real, he's emotional, and he is the glue so far to this story. It's nice to have... um... Uh, a documentary series that's not produced, to your point, by the men in the arena, or by a broadcast partner, or by NFL Films. It's, it's. I'm looking forward to watching. It's pretty refreshing. 
Not going to bore you with Jason, but a ton of good programming on Apple Plus. All right. Mike Smith, sports moment of the week on a night that transformed the Bahrain International Circuits, the Dome, into a crucible of competition and camaraderie. The Bahrain Darts Masters concluded with a spectacle that transcended the mere flinging of arrows. Here in a contest that saw 16 players vie for supremacy, the narrative was not just about darts, but about human endeavor, resilience, and the unquenchable thirst for victory. At the heart of this story stood Michael Smith, a titan in the world of darts, who after a series of grueling matches emerged victorious, claiming his third World Series title and the coveted 20,000-pound prize. Kudos to you, Mike. Thank you for acknowledging finally, Charles, that it's just not about the mere flinging of arrows, that this is about resilience and the unquenchable thrust, thirst of victory. And I'm going to take my 20,000 pounds and go blow it down in spring training this weekend. Can't wait. Buy some see-through pants. I just read the copy you give me. It's a new show on Apple Plus, too. Mike Smith and Darts. <laughs>